0: This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversation. Tonight, I'm going to be uh, talking to Ellen Satter about feeding your child. But before I plunge into that subject, I want to thank everyone there for contributing through Begathon. We exceeded our fundraising goal here at WMPG, and we are really thrilled and grateful to all of you. So turning towards tonight's show, the kind of thing that that all made possible... Ellen is a registered dietitian and a family therapist. She's the author of four books on the feeding relationship between parent and child. The most recent and perhaps the most comprehensive is called Child of Mine Feeding with Love and Good Sense. Ellen Satter is really a national authority on this subject, and I'm so grateful to have you on my show. Welcome, Ellen.
1: Thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So one of the things that intrigued me as I started reading your stuff um, was your real clear shift away from your initial training with a focus on nutrition to broadening it to look at the feeding relationship, as you call it, between the child and the parent. And I wondered if you could just tell me a little bit about what that shift means.
1: The, The shift means that the how of feeding is far more important than the what of feeding and that if you can get the how of feeding in place, the what is going to fall into place, and in the long run is going to improve the nutritional quality of everybody's everybody's diet as well as uh, make eating a far more pleasant uh family experience and by the how I mean that whole feeding relationship you know the you the parent uh, offer food with more or less expertise and regularity, and your child eats it with uh, uh you know accepts it with more or less willingness and um, flexibility, and then you respond to your child uh, with more or less patience or frustration, <laughs> and uh, and you end up with a dance, you know, where you can't really tell who started and, and who's leading and who's following. And so, and parents, you know, want, are, are really so deeply committed to doing a good job with parenting in general and feeding their kids and in particular, that many times their anxiety kind of drives the dance, and they end up kind of step, stepping all over their own and their their child's feet. <laughs> yes,
0: you know one of the things that you described, which felt uh, very important, was the the dynamic of control. Uh huh. And. Uh-huh. Um, I I certainly felt the sting of that in my own experience oh. both both as a parent <coughs> excuse me and as a child and tell me about sort of what you know about control and how it affects the feeding relationship.
1: Well, I'm going to start out by reassuring you and the pa- other parents who are listening that, you know, until the child is, you know, 13, 14 years old or even older, they're they're pretty pliable. And if you're running into feeding problems before then, um, you can change your ways. You can change the way you manage feeding and with uh you know, after anywhere from two to four months of careful attention to detail your child's eating and as uh, going to improve and, and the struggles that you have about feeding are going to fall away. But yes, the sticky issue of control. You mean um, you know, and and as we struggle with this in all areas as parents and the issue is when to take a stand and when to let go, when to uh, to uh, uh, lay down the rules, and when to give the child autonomy. Um, I'm, a, I'm a clinical, I'm a clinician, and uh, I started out my clinical career as a registered dietitian in a group medical practice, and I, um, in the middle of a, a really difficult counseling session one day when I was supposed to be talking to a mother about how to, you know deal with her chubby child so he um so he didn't get fat <laughs> mm-hmm. and i you know i sort of lost faith in saying and saying telling her to have him eat this and that I, I i blurted out well you know it's not your job to and oh and her line was you know how am i supposed to uh you know feed this child i have one who is too thin and this one's too fat And how am I going to get the one to eat more and the other one to eat less? Yes. And I said, well, you know, it's not your job to decide how much your children eat. It's their job. Once you get the food on the table, uh, then I think you can turn it over to them to decide what and how much to eat from what you put in front of them. And then I thought, well, what did I just say? Can that possibly be right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it was right, and it uh, it turned into um, some uh, the um, principle that I'm best known for, which is the division of responsibility in feeding, which says that the parent is responsible for what, what the what, when, and where of feeding, and the child is responsible for the how much, and whether of Eating, Um, which means that the parent manages the structure of meals and snacks, puts meals on the table at more or less predictable times, has snacks, sit-down snacks at predictable times, doesn't let the child graze for food and beverages in between times. And then after that, turns it over to the child. So the child comes to the table, sees what's there, picks and chooses from what's available, eats as much or as little as he or she wants, and then gets filled up and leaves, um, you know. And it it's, uh, so you know there's there's then um, a balance in in control. You've re- uh, you've achieved a detente in this whole uh, struggle for control. <laughs> to
0: use a Cold War analogy, but, yeah.
1: But you know, control issues are so it's so hard to define it, and it's so subtle. But the thing you know is if you're being controlling, the other person is going to control you right back. And so if you're trying to get your child to eat when he or she doesn't want to, or if you're trying to get your child to eat less or more than he or she wants, uh, your child is going to misbehave in some way. Or if you're keeping after your child about table manners, you know, that um, – and by that, I mean keeping after more than you know modeling and a gentle reminder. then your child will misbehave and your child's misbehavior is, tells you that something is off here, that you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out another way of managing the uh, situation.
0: So you've said a number of really important things, So I want to slow us down for a sec to come back to them. Um, okay. So what you said, you know, it sounds so clear, this division of responsibility. It sounds very clear-cut and sort of like, oh, okay, I can relax. But I think often the dynamics of control where the parent thinks that they should be controlling the child is just fueled by fear, you know, a fear that, if the child doesn't eat enough of their, you know, their healthy food, they're just going to eat a lot of dessert or sweets and then they'll be unhealthy or a fear that they'll get too chubby or, you know, there's, it's a very, it's a fear driven dynamic, this control thing. And I, your, your division of responsibility sounds so trusting, like it's all going to work out. And I can imagine parents saying to me, if I let my child just choose as much as they wanted of whatever they wanted, they would always choose the unhealthy thing and it would be okay. not good for them. I'd love to hear your answer to that.
1: Well, uh, you know, and, and there's a reason for, for that, all this fear. In fact, because nutrition policy nowadays is fear-driven. If you don't eat these foods, you will get sick and then you will die. Uh, if your child doesn't eat these foods, your child is going to be condemned to a lifetime of ill health and your child is supposed to have X number of vegetables, and vegetables seem to be the thing that drives parents crazy more than anything else because they feel like their child just has to have vegetables. And so they put pressure on their child to eat vegetables, and the child you know, senses the pressure and is less likely to eat the vegetables than if the parent simply put the vegetables on the table, enjoyed them herself, and turned it over to the child to decide what or how much to eat of what's on the table. And so, you know, the parents just um, just don't ever underestimate how much you're doing by planning a meal with food you enjoy, uh, you know, sort of a varied meal, uh, sitting down with your child, having a pleasant time sharing the food, and just... Um, you know, showing your child what it means to eat a meal. And, you know, you you have some of this, you have some of that, and your child will watch you. You know, if you have a young child, a toddler, a preschooler, they'll watch you eat it. They might not want to eat it, but they'll watch you. And then, you know, eventually they'll let it on their plate and eventually they'll pick it up and put it in their mouth and take it back out again. You know, (laughs) swallowing is, is a separate behavior right. <laughs> but they're they're getting used to the idea you know we talk about exposures. how many exposures does it take before a child learns to like a new food? Well, five, ten, fifteen, seventy five you know um, it can take a lot of exposures and so you're not you know keeping in mind you're not feeding a child, you're feeding a family. and so if the broccoli uh, shows up on the table every week or two because you enjoy it and because you consider it to be part of a, a pleasant meal, then your child will see that. You're not generating broccoli for your child. You're you're making it for the family, and sooner or later, the child is going to learn to like broccoli.
0: Wow. It's so interesting because really what you're describing in a way is like a vicious cycle. Of the parent f- feels like the child is not going to like vegetables feels that they have to pressure them the child senses the pressure and resists it and all of a sudden you've created a child that doesn't like
1: vegetables exactly and so and i think you also have to give the parent a break because the parents got pressure on her too and the parent has the parent's pressure is this media or uh, advisor somebody is telling the parent it's this kid has to have vegetables and so the parent feels the pressure. Somebody's pressuring the parent. The parent feels the pressure and passes along to the child, and the child fights back. They're less likely to eat the vegetables rather than more.
0: Yes, and so that brings to mind, I can think of two very predominant sources of pressure on parents right now. And one of them is the whole anti-obesity campaign, you know, which is very prevalent. There's a lot of consciousness about it. People's, people are worried about a child if the child seems chubby. And what is what What can you say to a parent who is tempted to restrict the child's intake? You're saying that the how much is the child's job, not the parent's mm-hmm, job. Mm-hmm. So how can you help a, a mother, say, who's worried that her child is too heavy um, not get involved in restricting their food?
1: Mm-hmm. I'd say keep your nerve. Do the best possible job of feeding you can for your child's stage in development. If your child is an infant, you're going to feed on demand, you're going to pay attention to your child's cues to guide the feeding process, and you're going to let your child get enough to eat at every feeding. If your child is a toddler, and starting when your child is a toddler, you're going to have regular meals and regular snacks, you're going to put on a variety of food, and you're going to let your child pick and choose from what's available and eat as much as she is hungry for. If your child's Probably starting with a child who's a preschooler, unless the child has older siblings. Uh, The preschooler generally is the one who discovers cookies (laughs) Mm -hmm. and sweets. And so starting, uh, you know, about that time, it's a good idea to put the desserts on the table. And my dessert rule is, you know, one uh, serving of dessert, you put it by everybody's plate and let your child eat it when she wants to before, during, or after the meal. Oh, really? And, you, and, so you and,
0: encourage people to have dessert
1: before their meat and vegetables? Oh, so. any time. You know, children, oh, really? um, it's only adults who think dessert ends the meal. <laughs> right, children think dessert is just another food.
0: <laughs> well, it's so interesting because that, you know, certainly for me growing up, the idea was you don't get dessert unless you finish your first course. Yeah. So and you I can feel that in myself as a parent, the urge to do that, to think, mm-hmm. You know,
1: dessert is not really good for you and you have to eat the good things first. And so you interfere with your child's regulation in two ways. Once to get them get your child to eat the the food before she can have dessert and once to eat dessert when she's slow from eating her food.
0: Okay, wait. Can you say that again? <laughs> I say uh,
1: when you when you say you you can have dessert when you finish your other food, yes. you interfere with her uh, her ability to eat as much as she needs in two ways. Uh, first thing she does is eat the meal when she doesn't really want it in order to get dessert. Yes, and that's right. And the second right. thing is she eats dessert when she's full from eating the meal she didn't want.
0: <laughs> yes, so that's, I think that's right. Uh-huh. So, of course, but the fear is that the child will always choose dessert first and will fill up on it and have no room for
1: protein and vegetables. Well, as you know, that one of the best... Uh, the best tactics that a parent can possibly have, or the best attitudes that you can possibly have, is being prepared to be surprised. You know, they're being curious and saying, "Okay, what is my child going to do?" Yeah, and you know, they'll surprise you because most most kids will eat a couple bites of dessert and then some, and then some vegetable. Or they'll ignore the dessert and not eat it. Or they'll eat all their dessert and then go back and eat the rest of the meal. You know, they have all different ways of handling this. But they're, they're not going to. It's prepare. so
0: interesting because I, of course, have never tested this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. Well, your child is seven, so she might have, you know, some habits to get over. But, um, you know, if you do this with a toddler, they'll, they'll surprise you every time.
0: This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Ann. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking to Ellen Satter about feeding your child. So, Ellen, you know, this interview is part of an ongoing series about uh, food and body image, and I've been doing a number of um, interviews about eating disorders. And, um, you know, one of the things that happens is if the mother has an eating disorder herself Mm. and has a lot of feelings about food, and how that passes it on. I know you're a family therapist, and I'm curious to know how, if the mother knows that she has her own struggles with body image, she may have struggled with dieting her whole life and feeling good about herself, what can you say to that mother that would help her, um, you know, not pass this on? She feels burdened by it enough. She doesn't want her (laughs) child to suffer with it.
1: Right, right. Well, and I'm sure you've, you've agreed with your listeners that getting as much treatment and gaining as much health as they possibly can is important. Um, And, uh, you know, it's an encouragement that I would have for parents who struggle with their own eating, and I'm sorry, but probably 80% of today's parents struggle with their own eating, Mm -hmm. given the sort of pervasive craziness we have about the topic, that if you're able to maintain a division of responsibility in feeding, and get that food on the table, you know, sort of go through the motions. And just, um, you know, turn it over to your child to decide what and how much to eat. Your child will show you what it means to eat normally.
0: I see. So your child can become your teacher.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's right. And it'll, you know, it'll, you just have to kind of bite your lips because sometimes it just is so amazing what they do with food, I mean a child will stop in the middle of a bowl of ice cream when they've had enough um, you yes. know and they'll they'll just you know they're just so good at managing their own eating they'll know if, when they're full they'll know yeah just, they know when they're full yes and they'll they'll set things up for them you know if you set things up properly for them, they will um, they'll do their part you can really trust them to do that. You know, something um, you might not know about my work is that I've done quite a bit of research with eating competence in adults. I saw uh, that on
0: your website, so why don't you tell me more about
1: that? Right. Well, this uh, is like um, feeding dynamics. Eating competence looks at the how of eating, not the what. And, again, you know, my pyramid and the whole shebang are so concerned about eating certain foods. Well, Eating Competence talks about your relationship with food. And it says, okay, what does it really take in order behaviorally and attitudinally to do a good job with your eating? And it takes uh, four sort of clusters of behavior. One is a positive attitude about it, you know, liking it, enjoying it, looking forward to doing it, it. you know, having it be one of life's great pleasures. This Mm. This is marvelous. Uh, and then there's this um, um, a food acceptance skills, and what that means is that you're interested in food, you're curious about new food, you experiment with food, and you are inclined to sort of gradually over life increase your food repertoire, repertoire that you're you're just going to eat a greater and greater variety of food as you go through life. And there's you know that's where you get your good nutrition. It's not by Saying I have to have two of this and six of something else, but it's from your relationship with food, your 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 passion for it, your interest in it, you know, your positive food-seeking behavior. Okay. Then there's the ability to internally regulate food intake based on your your feelings of hunger and fullness, and you know, people who have eating disorders work hard on that. You know, they work hard to find those internal regulators again because. Things have happened to them many times from birth to obliterate those feelings, and and they've learned to regulate their food intake based on information coming from their parents rather than information coming from themselves. So recovering those internal regulators is difficult. And I, and I, just, say, I just
0: want to clarify just for a second. When you say internal regulator, you mean knowing when I'm full, knowing yeah. when I'm hungry.
1: Going, I mean going to the table hungry, eating with uh, attention and passion and enjoyment until you are satisfied and then stopping knowing that another meal or another snack is coming and you can do it again okay so it's hunger appetite satiety And what's the fourth one? The fourth one is food context. It's the ability to manage food and provide yourself with regular and reliable and rewarding opportunities to eat. So that means, you know, that if you're an adult, you're feeding yourself. You're seeing to it that you get fed regularly. If you have a family, you see that your family gets fed regularly and Since feeding yourself and your family is such a lot of work, I mean, doing it three times a day, you have to be sure that the food you choose is richly rewarding to plan and, you know, provide and prepare and eat. And so you think in terms of the pleasure you put into it.
0: That seems so important because so many, you know, two working family, two working parent families, you know, if you can eat leftovers four nights in a row, you're relieved because you don't have to cook something new.
1: <laughs> oh, that's right. And it, if it's something you that's good, I mean, you can eat it four nights in a row, and you can throw in a little salad or a different bread. I encourage people to think in terms of bread making meals worthwhile because even the most, you know, the most hoja meal can turn into something pleasurable if you have a nice bread to go with it.
0: So I want to switch gears, Ellen, because I was telling you before we started that I was starting talking to my friends, letting them know I was doing this interview with you, and everybody started jockeying for who got to submit a question to you. Uh It was great interest (laughs) in having a chance. So I want to make sure I honor a few questions uh, that came to me from people that are interested in your work. And one of them is working with a picky eater. So if Uh you have, say, a seven-year-old child who just wants to eat pizza and pasta and hamburgers. Mm -hmm. How can a parent uh, begin to help? We know I loved what you said about being committed for your whole life to expanding your food repertoire. How can you help your child do that?
1: Yeah, right. Well, uh, you know, the question is, uh, and what you're talking about is a finicky child. Uh, I don't, um, I use the word picky to describe all children. (laughs) 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 Because they're all Somewhat, you know, young kids are skeptical about new food. As I described earlier, it takes them a while to sneak up on new food and learn to like it. And, that you know, they're very erratic in their eating. What they eat one time, they absolutely shun the next. Um, they eat a lot one time, not much the next. So children are erratic and picky in their normal eating behavior. The finicky child, though, uh, is the one who, for whom you know, feeding is a struggle. Probably the feelings around the meal are negative, that there's parents trying to get the child to eat, the child being uh, demanding or unpleasant about eating. You know, if you're catering to the child, you know, you're going to have some negative feelings yourself. Mm-hmm. So the whole whole uh, scenario is pretty unpleasant. You know, the child. Uh, sort of gravitates toward five or six different food items, usually by brand names, you know, that uh, it, it gets to be a real hassle. So how do you work your way out of that? Well, first of all, I'd say it's important to have regular meals and structured snacks and not let your child graze for food or beverage between times. Now, why is that? Why is that important? Well, because you want them to come to the table hungry but not famished, you know, hungry enough to take an interest in the food there. And, you know, we're not talking starve them into submission. We're just talking about having a healthy appetite. I see. So
0: if they graze, then it might be that they'd have a lot of food to eat 45 minutes before the meal. And exactly,
1: exactly. I but see. a snack midway between breakfast and lunch or lunch and dinner. So, you know, the child has two or three hours between times. And they're not drinking either. You know, they're not drinking milk or juice or any other kind of caloric beverage. It's just strictly water. So the child then can come to the table hungry. Now, uh, with a toddler, many times, once you get that under control, you see their eating behavior improves a lot. They start to take more of an interest in food. The school-age child, the 7-year-old, takes more than that. So what do you do? You have this child who has a very short list of foods they accept. Well, you, you plan meals for the family. And once in a while, you know, and periodically the pizza shows up, for the whole family. You get rid of this idea that you're short-order cooking for this child, that you're making special food for the child, that every meal you try to have one food item that the child can eat. It might be bread, it might be bananas, you know, who knows. It's just one that one food item has to show up. We hope this child drinks milk. uh, But if they don't, put milk and water on the table and that's it. But then, uh, and so the child can come to the table then and look over and see that there is something that they can eat. Now, and then you also work on behavior, which is that the child does not say yuck, the child does not whine or cry, the child does not have a tantrum if their special foods show up. And if, and if the child, you know, and so you, you work with the child's learning. To come to the table nicely, to behave nicely there, to be pleasant, to uh, not get all freaky if if there's you know if there's something unfamiliar there, but just to be calm about it, and to eat as much as they're as they can manage as much as they're hungry for, you know, even if they eat eight slices of bread, that's fine, you know that they eat what they can manage, and then they leave the table and so. You teach you put the main emphasis is on teaching the child positive mealtime behavior. And so the child then can go to the neighbor's house, to the grandparents' house and look over what's there. You know, this is the skill you want them to have. They want to sort of look over what's there and say to themselves, I can eat that and that's what I'm going to eat. So and then of course the child needs to have some Self-protective behavior it has to be able to say no, thank you, and the parent can help the child and just say, you know, no, 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 no Grandma, it's okay. Just let him handle it. He's doing fine. Yes, there's and, such
0: a you know the no, thank you bite, like you're the, the forcing oh, the
1: child to have one bite of oh, everything. Oh, I hate those things. I, I think that's just so wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, if, you're, if you if you if you are revolted by a food, a bite of that food is the worst thing. Even if you just have to lick it or smell it, you know, you just that's coercion. You just simply don't want to go there. You have to have more trust in children than that that and here's the deal. Your child wants to grow up to be like you. Your child admires you, loves you, and wants to be just like you. And so if you eat broccoli sometime your child will probably eat broccoli it might be when she's 10 years old but she'll make it she'll get there
0: that's wonderful so the parent needs to focus on their expanding repertoire of food exactly. and the child will follow suit and trust
1: that and trust the child same you know same with table manners i i'm working on a video series which is the second edition of my feeding with love and good sense first edition video series and I did this taping in a state that shall be unnamed. Um, and I was appalled at how much pressure, how much interference parents put on children about eating their vegetables and using their silverware.
0: <laughs>
1: and it's just, I, you know, I think a single mild reminder might be okay, but I think that it's clean tools and dirty hands. I think in many parents' hands that's even too much. Because the principle is if you use silverware and you give your child silverware, preferably child size, but even big size, if you give your child silverware and a napkin, that sooner or later they're going to pick it up and use it. And that for a long time they'll use both their fingers and the silverware. But when they get to be around 10 or 12 years old, then they'll mostly use silverware. But if you keep after your child about it, use your fork, use your napkin, use your... Use your spoon, you know. Um, They get so uh, distracted and overwhelmed. They can't pay attention to their eating, and it becomes unpleasant for them.
0: Yes, the whole context becomes unpleasant. Ellen, we are going to have to stop in a minute, and I'm so sad because I have so many more things I want to ask you, but I want to encourage people to look at your book, which is called Child of Mine, Feeding with Love and Good Sense. And I also want to steer people to your website. Why
1: don't you give us
0: the address, please?
1: Yes, that's dub, dub, dub um Ellen So let me spell it <clears throat> it's Ellen E-L L Y N Satter S A T T E R dot com. W E L L Y N S A T T E R
0: Ellen, you have been such a pleasure to talk to. I feel like your your bottom-line message of trusting the child yep. is such a relief. Oh, no,
1: no, no, it's not. It's do your jobs and then oh, trust your child. Do your job and then trust your child. Love it. Yep. I have to say goodbye
0: now, Ellen. Thank you so much. You're welcome, uh, Ann. If you would like to listen to a copy of the show in the future or email it to a friend, please go to www.safespaceradio.com. All prior shows are on that site, and you can register uh, for to be um, to get a weekly reminder of them. You can subscribe or even get iTunes podcast downloads. Thank you, and I'll be back um, next week talking about self-compassion and dieting. In the meantime, coming up next is Money Talks with Allison.